Get ready. Hi, welcome to 11 8 again. We're doing another movie review tonight. We're doing Thunderball, another James Bond movie. And with me, as usual, is Justin. Hi, how are you doing, Justin? You all right? Hey, hi, fellas. How are things? Looking forward to tonight with Thunderball. Great. This is <laughs> sounding very scripted at the moment, isn't it? I know. I'm reading it. I've got an auto clean. I spent a bit of money. Samir is with me. Samir is our resident sort of Bond Wikipedia. So, hi, Samir. You all right? Hi, guys. How are you doing? Have a good week, weekend? Yeah. Yeah, it's been pretty chill. Yeah. I uh, hope you're uh, sort of uh, enjoying uh, going to go through Thunderball and uh, the movie. Hope you're going to enjoy it, guys, tonight. Unlike last night, the other time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I did. I worked wonders with the editing because that was uh, that was low energy last week. Yeah, it did. It, 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 yeah, sorry, 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 fans. It was a little bit low energy. We're trying to be a little bit more enthusiastic this week. <laughs> I think it was all the all the bookings we had to handle for Justin as the uh, the Ian Bill lookalike. That's what oh, uh, was down. Do we have to do that every week? No. Honestly, I can't get <laughs> no. bloody letters in the post soon. <laughs> So, does anyone want to start us off with anything? An yes, observation? I, 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 I think, do. I think, no, before we do that, I think we should have a minute silent due to the fact we are covering Bond. And it's been four years since Sir Roger Moore passed away. I know we're not covering his Bond movies, but I think we should have a one minute silent and have a quick chat about Sir Roger as well. And we're back. One minute. Oh. One minute. Oh, I, actually, I actually counted that as well. R.I.P. Roger Moore. Yes. Yeah, rest in peace. Not my favourite Bond, but still, good actor. Yeah, I think uh, great actor. But it's like some of the stuff you've been watching uh, yourself, Paul, uh, such as uh, Persuaders and um, The Saint. I don't know if you've watched The Saint, but these are the two things that were great, and I think he really did act well in those. But yeah, not my favourite Bond, but it wasn't too bad. It was very different to the man we're going to cover tonight, Sir Sean. Uh, well, yeah, I did. I, I did just want to point something out, though. Um, isn't Sean Connery dead too? Y yeah, but we didn't do a minute silence for him at the start of these podcasts. Yeah, it's not a minute. It's not an anniversary of his death. Is that what it, oh, okay, all right. So when we get to Connery, we we do the same thing. Potentially, yeah, potentially. Just want to make sure we keep continuity and all that. You know, don't. Yeah, of course, we don't actually have to do a minute silence. I could edit that bit. Yeah, I'd like to start with a comment, actually. Um, mm -hmm. We've established that the beginning of the film is the rifling of a gun. Uh, we've established that we are still with the guy with the fedora. Um, but this film, I noticed it, that as he approached, he actually turned and prepared before he shot. It was Connery this time. It wasn't Bob Simmons. Was it actually Connery? I was going to ask you, Samir, was this, was this Connery? I'm going to watch very closely now. Is that why it was more accurate, do you think? Yeah, and if you look at the style, what, the way he's standing as well when he turns around, is very different. He doesn't jump like uh, Bob Simmons does. Like, like he's been surprised. I'm pretty sure that um, what they've done there is they've refilmed it with Connery doing it because they thought, I guarantee in like 50-odd years, some bastards on the internet going to be fucking slagging us off for this. So let's reshoot it, get it done right. And I think it, it was not only that, I think they agreed uh, to pay him extra for that shot as well. <laughs> not, not only that, yeah, that, that was actually not a proper that, point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I noticed it was different this time around, um, and it did look very much like Sean Connery, and I thought, all oh, right, I guess what Samir was talking about back in Dr. No, I think, um, Dr. No discussion, might finally have, have changed it. Yeah, I just think it was nice to see. So do, do, why did they want us to think immediately that Bond was dead with the opening scene of JB on the coffin. Uh, it wasn't Bond himself who died, but when it comes... Was it not? You think... No. Oh, it, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't Bond who died. Okay. As, as, as you know. <laughs> no, actually... That's it. We're done. Finn, he's dead now. So that's it. Finished. Yeah. So what it was, it was basically, obviously, it was going to fool the audience when they first watched it, thinking, JB, oh, my God, um, it's uh, James Bond. But it was uh, Colonel Bovier, um Duval or someone like that. Oh, so it was a double O, was he? No, he was number six, Spectre number six. 
Ah, right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And he, uh, as you hear in the sort of movie, Connery says, I'm really glad that's not me because the lady from uh, the French uh, station said, well, it's got your initials on the JB. I know it's Terence Young is back now. He's directing this. I saw that one, yeah. So I thought you Samir when I saw that on the credits. Ah, Samir would be pleased. Well, I think he's uh, probably one of uh, the greatest uh, Bond directors there's been. Uh, without him, I don't think uh, there would have ever been Bond or the sort of Bond we see on screen. And if you look at Connery, he looks more comfy as well in this one. He's really starting to uh, shape up. There are, there are parts of this film that, uh, I must admit, were making me feel very, very uncomfortable. There were moments in this film that was a bit like when you were a kid and you were sat watching TV with your parents and there'll be kissing or lovemaking on TV and you'd, think you'd sort of feel really embarrassed because you were watching it. I noticed straight away after that sort of short uh, funeral scene was the uh, was the Lincoln Continental again, which I, I just think is such a beautiful car. But the, 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 that features a number of times uh, in this. And actually, Paul, you mentioned the Lincoln Continental, which JFK was assassinated. And I called it a convertible, but it wasn't. So they removed the roof. Uh, but there's actually a limousine version of the Lincoln Continental in this film, Hard Tops. Uh, oh, right. And I, okay. I thought of that scene, actually. Um, but yeah, they, I don't know. Did that, Samir, did, was there some sort of deal with, with Lincoln on these Continentals featuring in these films? I think uh, it was. And also, it was aimed for the American market as well. So they needed some product or something which was related to the US. Oh, but you couldn't get, you couldn't get much prominent, much more prominent than Lincoln Continental, no. could you? No, it's like a, a symbol, especially in the 1960s when the films were made, that specific car was the, like, the symbol of the state. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. This woman walks in and meets Bond in the room. She's quite clearly a female, mm -hmm. yet somehow she morphs into a bloke that he punches and we think, oh, what my word, and it's some bloke. And then you see quite clearly it's, you know, the bloke in tights but it's quite obviously a woman walking in i don't so I don't understand that he was disguised as a woman and they've yeah, used a real woman legs. they've used a real woman for the shots to further convince you that it's supposed to be a woman and then when connie actually gives him a right look it's a bloke yeah yeah so if you remember the funeral he went to it was um uh, Bouvier, Bouvier, Duval, Duval, Bouvier, whatever his name was, Jean Bouval. So basically, that was number six. He pretended to die so no one would go after him. And then, as you know, he finishes his job off in that room. He makes sure he breaks his neck and makes sure he, he is dead. Yeah, but he's a bit of a cocky bastard, wasn't he? You know, knowing they're trying to thump through the door and he thinks, oh, I've got time to throw those flowers on him. And that was the confidence about Bond as well. And there's an interesting uh, thing about the guy who played. The, uh, the guy in uh, tights, he is the original Bob Simmons himself, who uh, was in the first group Bells. Bob Simmons was, what was he then? What was he, part of the crew, the filming crew, or what? Why is he still hanging about by the he, fourth movie? Uh, he's a, he was the head stunt coordinator. At one point, they even considered him to uh, play Bond as well, but uh, I think he wasn't interested. He wanted his... Uh, private life still and the jetpack was this something that was actually doable in the time was this like a bit of product placement no it was it was um it, yeah it was an actual military jetpack i can't remember the name of it i did read it twice earlier today but i can't remember it now but it was actually a proper military jetpack that was developed in the 60s it was cancelled it was canned because it was bollocks basically it would only go i think it was like 120 foot 120 meters maximum distance. as far as he did in the film then basically yeah yeah, yeah exactly the distance from that because that was genuinely somebody actually actually controlling that jetpack yeah so from the distance of the top of that that rooftop of that building to where it landed in the road was probably about it elaborate exit when he probably could have got out a lot quicker and easier yeah, but I think yeah, that was the way he got in, probably without them, uh, the bodyguards knowing he was in the room. So I think you'd have heard it though, no? <laughs> yeah, or yeah, probably. Yeah, like what the fucking hell was that, Gannett? Yeah, I, I think you would have heard that sort of whistling past your window, going, hey, "No, I'm in a jetpack." <laughs> yeah, but Justin, we have to come back. But I think we have to tell you again, Justin. This is the world of movies. Oh bollocks! <laughs>
got to be realistic, isn't it? Surely. No, no, it hasn't. Oh. No. It's like, can I ask you, can we bloody travel to another galaxy? Star Wars isn't really uh, real, is it? Star Trek isn't real. We can't go that fast in space. Oh, don't ruin it for me, Samir. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, I forgot to tell you, Father Christmas is not real as well. <laughs> that's that's ruined my day. That's ruined my day. Yeah. A few moments later. Right, sorry, Paul. Yes, the opening sequence, what do we think? Um, we're now on the, I think, the silhouetted naked... I oh, know I keep going on about it. No, we, we have to go back to the actual song because we did miss that a bit. But Tom Jones, uh, yeah. Tom yeah. Jones, yeah. Yeah, what do we think about it? Good, bad, what? One of the other classics. Yeah, strong words. Yeah, one of the best. One of the, yeah, yeah, I really like it. Actually, it's, I like uh, the song. Uh, I like the way it's sung. But not only that, do you know at the end when uh, he actually goes for the long note, uh, thunder ball, at the end of the song, he actually uh, went so low he fainted. <laughs> So can imagine him like shitting himself and passing out. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah, he did. And they sort of said to him, if you perform it again ever in the future, you will have to make it short uh, at the end and not that low because he basically went and boom, he fainted basically. Shat his pants and fell on the stage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and not right. only that, it was the second time a Welsh uh, person sang it as well. Yeah, I had that wrote down as well, both Welsh. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So you had a Scotsman playing James Bond and he had a Welsh singer. So that was interesting. Yeah, there's nothing British about this bloody Bond series at all, is there, at the moment? It is part of, well, they're part of Britain, aren't they? <laughs> just, just, just Scotland rock pretty soon, isn't they? You do just see a little bit, you do get to see just a little bit of clunge if you pause in the right places, I must be. Fucking it, what is it with this this obsession? Oh, it's an obs- just... You say it isn't, but it is, it's an obsession. All right, I won't. I won't talk about it more then. <laughs> okay, so yeah, you want to know about the naked swimming women? Okay, they were actually naked, Justin. We get to see the whole Spectre office set up as well. You know, where everyone sat in the chairs. And... But you know what was brilliant about that bit? In, uh, when he goes to uh, Paris, basically, when number two is driving, drives into his car park, and the police officer goes, Sir, you can't park, and realize who it was, just sort of saluted and walked off. And then they. Um, he went through a special bureau, uh, bureau but I can't even say it, a special office, basically, where they help people get visas and all citizenships. And then suddenly goes out the back and you think, mm, why, why is he, this is just an ordinary sort of thing, uh, office? And then suddenly he's got remote control and clicks those doors. It's a, bit, it's a bit elaborate, isn't it? It's a bit sort of guns in the closet sort of thing. It um, opens up into this massive hall. Yeah, it's I was, I was half expecting there to be a massive shark pit or something under it, you know, or a bridge. So we do walk over the bridge, um, you know. But you're, you're, you're expecting um, something here with the chairs, and but they're also worried, though, aren't they? You know, they've got to they've got to make sure they're giving a good report. But you know, something bad's about to happen. Yes, uh, especially when those two basically says there's two million dollars missing. And he goes, yeah, we counted it ourselves. And the way they were sweating, you knew that something was going to happen there. And the way the chair comes back up, it's now ready for somebody else to sit on. Yes. You know, if it's, been... it's there now. Please take a seat. It's back now. You know, we'll charge. And, you know. What I think was quite interesting about the whole Spectre scene there, the, one of the most poignant bits in that was where they, um, they mentioned, number one mentions integrity is a must. Mm, they're yes. all really they've all got to be truthful with each other and completely transparent which i thought was really interesting for a criminal organization so for in order to work, imagine that happening in the, in the map yeah well in order for it to work and people you know for all of these big plans to come off they've all got to be completely honest with each other exactly yeah seems quite noble actually well, well I, I must get an application form yeah i've actually got that poster somewhere behind you justin have you yeah uh, I did a project on that, funny enough, for my um, univer- one of my university projects. Uh, that actually about the business of James Bond uh, and its economics. That was quite interesting. Uh, they used to choose any topics, but anyway, changing the topic straight away. Yeah, well done, Justin. Perfect for your bedroom, mate. Yeah, but the clothes, though, so it's not going to go off a marble. Uh. 
they were quite uh, honourable. Uh, obviously, as I say, honour between thieves it really doesn't mean much, does it? Uh, really. Well, if you're going to be a criminal, be an honest one. Is that right? It's a bit like telling saying that to an estate agent, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, second-hand car salesman. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Another. <laughs> What I was trying to compare the scenes to where either they would kill you, like they did with these guys in uh, Thunderball, or they would do something like blind you or something where you would ha- have that all your life. So they weren't a really friendly Peter Bunch, I have to say. No, <laughs> definitely not, though. No. Maybe I won't sign up then. So what about time at the moment in the film? Are we at the health spa yet? Yeah, well, this is, this is one of the cringy moments that I would like to bring up. I, it was just a bit where he puts his arms up and she looks at the bruise in his back and he puts his arms down around her <laughs> and effectively forces himself straight in there, didn't he? And I don't know, just, and she clearly is trying to pull away and he's just like, you know, almost forcing her back in again. There's word for that, isn't there, these days? Yeah, I... But it's just accepted then. I, you know, what, what was she going to say? I know what you mean about being uncomfortable because when I watched it, it reminded me of that particular piece. And um, there's a lot of people in Reddit as well, the, the James Bond Reddit sub, subreddit that also say the same thing as well. And yeah, I felt a little bit funny about it. It's like, wow, you know, you can't, you can't yeah, do that. It's sort of forcing yourself upon. It's sort of like, uh, yeah, I, I just didn't feel, I just felt that was, okay, there's, there's being good looking and suave and all the rest of it and being a chick magnet, but sort of forcing that, and you know, I just think is not, it's not right. I'm not sure what they what they wanted the audience to feel at that moment either, because there's another moment in that same health spa thing that we'll probably get to as well. I'm not sure what they expected the audience at that time to think either. I, I, I was trying to put my my mind in a in a, 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 a mid say mid twenties male in the cinema watching that and what I would think. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. But I think there was something different about the 60s audience. I don't know. Was it risque for them? They think, oh, my God, there's someone out there who can get away with it? Or does a, a, a hero like Bond have a, a flaw? I don't know what it was, but I'll be very frank and honest with you. I, I understand where you're coming from because that is quite, not quite, it's very cringy, to be honest with you. I feel very uncomfy with that scene. Always have and always will. But then he does go, you know, go into the sauna after he's been shaken. Uh, on the table, and this is the bit I think Paul, you're talking about. He, he goes into the sauna and effectively pulls her in there with him. All right, she's got the ability to say no, um, but she's straight in there, and she clearly wasn't wearing anything under that dress, was she? But anyway, well, he sort of blackmails her into it. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is sort of yeah. It's like okay, well, you're coming in here with me though. Yeah, it was funny because it was about that you know where they made a mistake with the speed, or someone actually uh, Lord Lippy or Count Libby and Lippy basically smashes uh, the gear and makes that pulley overly fast and she finds uh, Bond basically fainted basically because of that and then he sort of when they get to it goes please don't tell anyone and he goes uh, it, there must be a, a price to pay for this or something like that he says that scene. He, he says you could buy my silence or something with that yeah that's right yeah something along those lines anyway and then and the next thing you realise uh, he's taking her in the sort of steam room. Well, it, up in the irrigation, as the sign says on the way out, he's taking her up the irrigation. It is an odd sequence of events, that. Yeah. And you see it later on in the scene where she's actually in his room, um, you know, naked on his bed, and they're sort of enjoying themselves. So yeah. anyway, but the health spa in general, that scene when I was watching it, apart from those particular scenes where it was a bit like, hmm, that's odd, I was actually laughing at most of it because it was like a bunch of schoolboy pranks, wasn't it? You've got the gear with the, the back stretching machine and then you've got the, the, the steaming thing that the guy's in, that that count feather's in, and he just tweets yeah. the dial up. It's just a bunch of schoolboy pranks. Yeah, who, who, can do, who can do the worst, yeah. Don't forget, the people who actually made the Bond movies were um, public school boys. So for our American audience, um, it's private schools, um, but we call them public schools here in the UK. So don't forget, it was people who went to Eton and stuff like that. And they used to always have pranks like that. So realistically, that's, I think, where that sort of boyish pranks came from. A bit where he turns the, the temperature up 
and the guy sort of comes out of his sort of um, semi-sleep. He's like, hey, what's going on? And he goes, don't worry, I'll tell the chef. <laughs> the lady who he just took into the scene room, she's in the, uh, they're in the room, and then suddenly you see this sort of a furry uh, sort of glove that she's sort of uh, stroking Quandry's back, and you think, hmm. No, it's the other way around. He was stroking hers. He, it was a oh, mink, sorry, sorry, yeah. It was a mink glove. It's a, yeah, it's exactly, yeah, it's a mink glove. Yeah, but, yeah again, odd. I mean, why... Um, did he just carry that with him in his suitcase, just in case, or what? Well, I think Bond carries many things that we don't know, isn't it? A furry he's probably, got one of, he's probably got one of those things with a red ball in his mouth. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and the reveal of where they um, they they show that that guy, that pilot, I think he's RAF pilot. Yeah, that's right. The, um, the redhead that he's with at the time turns out to be quite an important member of Spectre. That's right, yeah. And did you see how they did... I saw how big something was, yeah. There's a pair yeah. of them. They're quite big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but yeah. <laughs> I wasn't talking about that, but yeah. Uh, yeah. She was quite an attractive lady. I think she was an Italian actress, actually. Um, quite famous. Uh, but if you remember in the inn, they're in double role, the... Air Force pilot, but if you see how they did the film, how they had done that, you could tell he, that was not a real person. Well, I mean, it would have been very difficult, wouldn't it, trying to work out and getting two people to play the same part in the same room. I think it yes. was, uh, yeah, I mean, it was quite probably not not an easy thing to uh, to do. And not only that, uh, going back to the spa where uh, Conry actually finds the guy with the bands, basically. If you remember, there was someone uh, having plastic surgery. Yeah, well, that was the guy that was in the hotel room, wasn't it? That's right, yeah, yeah. But I thought we should go back then and explain what, what happened. That, that particular scene, I've got a note on that particular scene, actually, where he finds the body's been switched. The use of shadows in yeah. that was really good. It really did build up the tension. I thought it was an excellent piece of um, cinematography, that. And was that the scene where he... Uh, Smashes through the glass with a phone. Yeah, but that's later, isn't it? Isn't that shortly? That um, that comes a bit later on. He walks. He he walks out, doesn't he? And he bangs the, and he's all casual about it. His girlfriend or the lady seduces. Basically, said, "Was that you?" And he goes, "No, yeah, I just was uh, went for fresh air." And you can really tell the movie was made in the sixties when she walks away. And he goes, "See you later, alligator." A bit odd, very flippant, considering what Bond had just done. To that that woman basically blackmailed into into sex and he just yep yeah, see you later alligator just yeah but that's part of the that's part of the cocky bloody um image isn't it it's playboy image we also um the the bit where he's snooping around the the room of the guy next door to him the guy that's in the bandages and uh, before he leaves he steals a grape from the yes, fruit bowl very, yeah again a bit like the flowers you know oh, i'm not going to yeah. throw the flowers on I'm not going to leave you. I'll just pinch a grape. I think it was a case where that shows his confidence or arrogance and confidence where he thought doesn't matter if he's going to be a few minutes late. But he's probably thinking, I've got another 20 films to do yet. I'm not going to die just yet, so I'll just pinch a grape in it. One side is arrogance. Another side is confidence where he knew that if anyone came through that door, he can handle them. Because don't forget, he was going to be uh, one of the top Navy commando commandos and commanders. So he had this special training in some sort of martial arts, probably, or something. He was a killing machine, basically. Let's be uh, factual. We're talking about... Bond's a hero, but in the real world, he's equal to what the KGB uh, killer is, but for us, uh, the Western world, or uh, MI6, Great Britain. So, yeah. So he's not a nice person, if you think about it, but there's something fascinating about Bond. Are you saying that we're supposed to be sort of uh, agreeing with what he's doing because he's saving the world and killing baddies, but we don't really like him, but we know he's the one for the job. But No, I think uh, that was the idea that we should basically we, uh, root for him because he's saving the world for the good, the good side. But we, don't, but we don't really like him. It could be anybody, as long as they're doing the same similar thing and saving the world and looking after us. I think the character really wasn't meant to be liked, but what happened, I think, when it came to the movies, he was so stylish. He had that good looks. He had some sort of fashion, you know, all the fashionable styles. He had the money. He had the lifestyle. And that's what I think attracts people to Bond. He is what everybody wants to be, or a bloke, I suppose, in a way. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, tall, tall, dark, handsome, capable, you know, uh, 
women, cars, that whole look. Yeah, exactly. And I think the actual basic character himself, if let's say we took all the glamour out, I think we would say, hmm, this guy's really cold-blooded because he just goes around like, for example, in From Russia With Love, he uses the sort of uh, wire from uh, Red Grant's watch and kills him. But we didn't think one thing about that. But when uh, uh, Grant did that, we got, oh my God, he's killed that person. But when Bond did it, we don't think about it. We think, okay, he's saving the world, no problems. I was just looking up the, uh, the Vulcans because we get a scene of the Vulcan in a minute. And of course, the last flying Vulcan doesn't fly anymore, does it? The, um, no. Never understood that. I, I must admit, I, I've seen that Vulcan at many air shows and we, we look at those planes in awe but we forget that they were planes of mass destruction. They were designed to drop nuclear bombs and cause death. Mm -hmm. And do you know, quite a lot of wood was uh, used in those planes as well, wood frame. Yeah, but there was, there were, there was supersonic. I mean, that, that it was um, a similar design to the Concorde. Uh, I forget which came first, whether the Concorde or the Vulcan. I think the Vulcan was the first. Vulcan would have been... Yeah, I think the Vulcan came in as the military design and Concorde came after it. Um, but yeah, they're, they're amazing planes. Uh, but we, 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 we just, what's the word I want to use? Um, marvel. We marvel at them, but we forget that they were, yeah, they were killing machines. Yeah, don't forget, this movie was made in 64 and Concorde was uh, launched in 69 or 68, 69. Regarding the stealing of the Vulcan, um, I can't remember how long into that i think it's after the he's gassed the fellas um so the rest of the crew has died and and they they suddenly realize that it has gone missing and it cuts back to the raf the head sort of the hq the raf where they're all stood around tracking it and i just love the old english attitude portrayed in that scene and one guy walks in and says what's all the flap about then and they Guy says, "Oh, well, we, think, we think we've lost her. We've lost contact, etc." Just barks out a few orders, spins on his heels, and walks straight back out. Probably back to his cigars and brandy. Yeah, the stiff upper lip. Yeah, don't forget, officers were meant to be like that as well. In those days, remember, you weren't allowed to show any emotion. Go, oh damn, what we're going to do? Like jump up and down, panic. Uh, but then again, I think if you think about the British Army, even to this day, it's, they're probably very similar. They probably don't show their emotion if there is some sort of all or you know commander who needs to make a serious decision like that and say, okay, let's do this, this, and this. And normally it's someone who's well spoken. So why did they bring the dead body of that dude back to the house bar? Because is that where he was and they wanted to make it think that he had died there? Yeah, I think it, it, it was. And not only that, it's just to make sure that no one found his dead body at the hotel, so they had plenty of time to sort of uh, fly the aircraft out of the, the Air Force base and get their sort of mission on way. That whole flight was supposed to be a NATO flight. Like a, was it a training exercise or something? Yeah. That, yeah. That's right, yeah. If that's the case, then why on earth would they have two nuclear warheads on it? Well, I did was wondering that, actually. And <laughs> I don't want to skip too far forward, but in the same with Dr. No with the rocket, what actually happened to them? Where did they go? Okay, so basically, um, if you... <laughs> yeah, and, and but but it was sorry, Smith, but it wasn't it wasn't just that that you know, there was no before the film had ended, there was no sort of elaborate setting up of them and the threat of launch or a countdown of any kind they they captured them and had this great big fight scene at the point in which they were just sort of two-thirds the way through setting it all up so we need to go a little bit back into the movie to explain that but i just was going to explain the nato sort of exercise stuff you guys know a bit about military and stuff like that during the cold wars when they used to have nato exercises they actually used to have live nuclear weapons on the aircrafts uh, when they used to go on it. To make sure you do it properly, that you don't muck about. Yeah, and obviously they don't uh, launch it by mistake or anything, but there was always a... a... Oh, don't press the big red button. Exactly. <laughs> Let, let's see which prick can listen. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> that was one of that was one of the reasons. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the other reason was they never knew that actually when they were doing an exercise, if a nuclear war would uh, start, so they were in a way on standby, and that's why they always used to have live uh, missions, although there were exercises. So it seems to me then that the, the safest plane is one carrying a nuclear missile, because then nobody will be tempted to shoot it down if you accidentally stray into foreign airspace. Yeah, if they know about it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, like, as you say, they guessed the crew, and then they basically have a runway in the middle of the Caribbean Sea, where Spectre's got all these lights. It's amazing how they managed to actually fit all these lights in a perfect sequence uh, in the middle of the sea. And Justin, get, before, yeah. before yeah. we go any further, it's a movie. <laughs> I, you know, I, you know, you know, Thunderbirds. So all I'm going to say, Thunderbirds, you know, it was no, it was no better than, in fact, I thought I was watching a scene from Thunderbirds with that, you know, from the movie with the, with the elaborate starting sequence of that blue plane X thing being put together. And that's what I felt like I was watching there for a minute, um, you know, because it would have broken to pieces and, you know, the electrics worked for the wheels to come down, uh, you know, even though it was in submerged in water. Yeah. Don't forget, if you lend it uh, carefully, it, it would sort of plane would uh, sort of stay together. But the only thing is, it would sink faster than it did. Uh, I don't think the guy would get a chance to use all that um, sort of um, lending gear and stuff like that. It would just go to the bottom, basically. And I, uh, I think it, like you said to me, it's a movie, and I think that sequence yeah. is like, yeah, all right, it's a movie, you know. Yeah. I, you know, how, how many takes did that take? Do you reckon? <laughs> Let me guess. And it was filmed in 1964 as well, so there's also te technological limitations. Exactly, exactly. exactly. Uh, I've no, I've no, I've no doubt actually that the, in terms of the sinking, the sinking sequence, that that was probably a full size uh, prop that was made um, yes. to to sink down. So the the wheels you see coming down and it's sinking down. I think that prop that was a full size, uh, very heavy prop in order to make it sink. And don't forget the studio, Pinewood uh, 007 stage is so big, they can do them sort of things where you can put scenes of uh, sort of oceans and seas there and you wouldn't realise that they're actually done in a studio tank. Simple yeah. as that, yeah. I'm glad we got to the underwater scenes because they're, um, they're quite... Um, a lot of people have different views on those. A lot of Bond fans have different views from what I could gather from the, the Reddit subthreads. A lot of people, it's quite polarizing. Some people love them, and some people yeah. absolutely hate them. Well, interestingly, on that, the because uh, I was just looking it up, the Vulcan bomber used for the shooting was never a real plane, but a mock-up. After the crew filmed the landing north of Rose Island, they brought the replica to a new location west of New Province and blew it up to prevent others using the plane for whatever, for whatever purpose. Why would you blow it up? Why don't you just dismantle it? Take, yeah, why would you just take it apart? Why would you? Yeah, why would you blow it up? It seems a bit extreme, doesn't it? Where did that information come from? Yeah, uh, a search engine of my choice. Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Other search engines are available. Yeah. Okay. We're not here sponsored by any of them, so you cannot mention them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're not, they don't need advertising anyway, those wankers. They've got enough money as it is. <laughs> oh, it, it, it depends on which one you're talking about, sir. I know which one you use. I saw it the other week. There are many <laughs> different available to the public. That sort of plane is not the sort of plane, like you can, you can crush a Lincoln Continental, you can crash a DB5, but you can't just borrow a Vulcan. Uh, and crash it and, and all the rest. You, you can't do that mm -hmm. with that yeah. sort of thing. So that would have had to, my point is, is that it would have to be thought about it, 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 the way they were filming it, the way they were staging it uh, and how they were, were using it essentially. Because okay. theoretically it was actually a top secret weapon, the Vulcan. It wasn't a commonly known aircraft at, at the time. So to, no. to probably to see in the cockpit or what we thought was in the cockpit, of you know the three sitting in and the two pilots was that actually how it was set up because that would have been quite a revolutionary for people to have seen inside because they were still making them they were still in service until 1985 or whatever it was so mm -hmm. that would have been a real insight for people seeing that so was that actually real and how they looked the underwater scenes 
it's like a kid with a new toy. I felt there's so much of it. It uh, whether there was some breakthrough in the technology at that time or not, it seems it because there's just so much of it. I think uh, like here, uh, I think there was a technology, new technology or new toys, and the water toys uh, for the rich and famous at the time, obviously. And they wanted to show certain technology that Bond used, like you know the uh, breathing thing that he put in his mouth, which was meant to be a mini sort of uh, oxygen tank. Basically, that was fake. That wasn't real sort of thing. That was a mock-up, but they wanted to impress that. Then he had that pack with the little motor and stuff like that. I think that was a new product that was out. So it was sort of indirect product placement as well. The other thing was uh, people, There's a, as you say, there's a mixed view of the underwater scenes. Uh, some, as fans, like them, some don't. Uh, and some also say that it should have been made a little bit later on when technology was much better. But it was uh, made ladies for one, um, uh, if people realise, Never Say Never Again, which was a, an official Bond movie, was actually uh, fundable, but with a different name. And there's a reason for that as well. There was a legal dispute uh, with Thunderball. Uh, I don't know if you know, but there was someone called Kevin McCroy, uh, McCroy who basically co-wrote it with um, Ian Fleming and another guy. I did read about that earlier myself, and um, as I understand it, it was Ian Fleming at the time, I think it was 1959, Ian Fleming at the time was considering going straight to movie rather than book, so he was with that that, that guy that you mentioned, um, working on a film at the time, then Ian Fleming decided not to, he, revert, he changed his, his mind and decided to release it as a book, and then when Thunderball was made, that's when that guy came out of the woodwork and said, hey, there's a lot in this film that is what we worked on together. So, you know, I want some money, please. And they actually settled out of court for that's an undisclosed yeah. sum. And I think he got some royalties as well. Yep, and he got co-producer as well. Um, and I, uh, we've got one more Connery movie where they do mention Spectre. But because we're going to have a sort of a mini break in between for that movie. Uh, after that, if you notice, they do not uh, really mention Spectre too much, except in Diamonds Are Forever uh, and uh, On Her Majesty's. The reason was that Kevin McCoy guy actually had the right on the name Spectre. And they just won a legal battle, uh, Ian uh, Econ. Um, years before doing the movie Spectre and that's why Spectre was reintroduced until then they weren't allowed to use that because of uh, the legal rights I picked up on the DB5 again both in the opening sequence and when um, he's driving away from the health spa bit of continuity there yes that's right Uh, and that's quite interesting to see if you remember that where suddenly that uh, Count Lippy is chasing him when he's uh, driving the DB5 um, I don't know if you noticed, but it was actually done on a um, outs- outskirt road of a horse uh, horse uh, racing course, and that was Escort. I got the impression that Bond is um, coming across as slightly bored of it all when he's um, at M's <laughs> office, and uh, he's, he's he's told by Money Penny that uh, practically every 007 agent has been called in from all over Europe. And he just comments, uh, someone's probably lost a dog. It's like it's sort of all getting a bit beneath him now. He's bored of it all. Yeah, Almost exactly. inconvenienced. Yeah. The room that he goes into as well is, I mean, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Justin, but the room that he goes into with all the Renaissance artwork, and it's massive. Um, I did have a comment, actually. The guy on the far right-hand side, how the fuck was he supposed to see that map on the right-hand side of that wall? I was thinking... How's he? Uh, he must be sitting there thinking, "Yeah, great." I thought the ma- you mentioned the massive mass map. It's something I picked up on. Not that point. I, I, I don't know how he thought of that, but <laughs> the huge painting that went up. They pressed a button and it was just slowly yes. moving up. Yeah. Right? And then yeah. the guy that spoke afterwards, it took longer to get the map up, the, the yes. painting up to show yeah. the map, than it did for him to say he's lying. Yes, that's right. Yeah, it was like that was worth it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's such an elaborate set again. Yeah, again, yeah. yeah. What an amazing I, set that is. 
that well, I think that was meant to be the Admiralty in London or one of the MOD. Well, Greenwich. Sort of a... Well, the Greenwich Naval Base. No, 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 no. The one, the arch. You know, the arch on the other side of uh, Buckingham Palace. Admiral Admiralty. Um, right. Yeah, I think it was meant to be in that building because in those days, I think most of the MOD like top brass were based there. Don't forget the foreign office is next next to that as well. Home office used to be there. But I, I, I mean, the scene after that, she's he's in M's office, and again, yes, I think you're right, Paul. It's like you're getting bored of it. It's like, well, why are you assigning me to that? And he just kind of shoots that naval guy down, doesn't he? It's like, <clears> well, why are you giving it to somebody else? You twat, you know, give it to me. And it doesn't even get permission for it. He just assumes it based on what he knows. I think Ems just it, says, you know, just get on with it, 007. Yeah, but he says, oh, it's her sister. But it says that on the documents they were given, that, they, you know, Deval, the woman in it, is his sister that he's met. So it's not like a revelation, is it? No, but the other thing that I've noticed as well is the re- reason why Bond probably took that mission. He sort of liked the sister and thought, hmm, that's nice. Uh, yeah, I don't mind uh, sort of going uh, on a holiday and sort of. Uh... Yeah, I, I don't. But then, but we get this other uncomfortable situation. Oh, she, she's got two moles on her hip. He says to Money yeah. Penny, isn't it? Oh, I'm sure I recognise yeah. her. Oh no, no, it's her thigh. She's got two marks. She's got two moles on her thigh, and she's like taunts, taunts Money Penny with it, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I bet Money Money Penny must be going. Mm, I wonder what he's going to be up to then on Friday night. You cringe when you hear it, but I suppose it was in the 1960s, and for some reason the audience accepted it and people accepted it. I don't know why, but it was just. Don't forget it was free love. Don't forget before that decade before yeah, money, that money was Penny, the first. Yeah, Money Penny says to him, "How are you going to recognise it?" He says, "Oh, but she's got two moles on her thigh," as in, "Don't you worry, sweetheart. I'll figure it out." Yeah, but don't forget uh, the de- decade before was a very suppressed society. So he suddenly had this freedom, explosion of freedom, as I said, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Well, suddenly, talking you know, about exp- freedom in that spirit, Samir, I, I'm, 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 she's underwater, being pulled along by a turtle, okay? Yes, yeah. If I was going to the shops, I'd expect to bump into somebody. Yeah, but if not I was in underwater. If I was going to an airport... Or a football game, I'd expect to bump into somebody. But if I'm diving in the water, I wouldn't expect to bump into somebody. I wouldn't expect to just turn around and find somebody, you know, diving behind me. I know what you're saying, but it's about intelligence. It's about the sort of how powerful MI6 was, the British intelligence gathering, and well, their sort that, of. Did she? No, no. Ob- behind and going, the fuck are you? Yeah, but yeah, obviously, yeah, but. What what the basically thing was the idea was look he, we know where people are that was the idea I understand what you're saying obviously yeah when you're sort of uh, in the Caribbean sea so don't expect that do you? when he leaves Money Penny's office M's office whatever at the um, the place in London HQ he says mm-hmm. he says I'm sure I had a hat when I came in and that's it it's never mentioned again he doesn't even leave the hat mm. no. No one's got a clue yeah. what ever happened to that hat in the world. No, <laughs> I think he doesn't either because he was too drunk probably from the night before gambling. That's why. Very strange. I, I really, yeah. I, I didn't understand why that was actually in there. And I've looked on you know, red, Reddit subthreads to see if anyone had any insider information. Nothing. It's never mentioned. That hat just disappeared. It just vanished. But we didn't see him go in though, did we? The, the scene opened with yeah. him sat. He opened the door. He had his. Ha- he opened the door to the, the HQ office. He had the fedora in his hand, ready to throw it, and then decided not to, and then walked in. You're right. It's quite strange. Yeah, it's like us going somewhere and leaving our coat or something like that. We're not going to come out. Mm, I'm sure I had a coat with me, and then just walk off. We're in Nassau. I really do like James Bond's pink and blue number around the pool. Really quite like that. Yes. Um, yeah. But very overall. Nice. Um, the dubbing at this point is utter shite for this movie. All the lip syncings out. I was watching the um, like the iTunes HD enhanced version this morning, and it's still shit in that. It's awful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's one point where he where, where Bond goes into the hotel and he, he picks his key up, and the woman behind the counter, she says hello. Her lips don't even move. 
I think I know. I think I know the bit you mean. Actually, I, I, I think I spotted that myself, but I wasn't sure. It's just so bad. I, I, it just makes me wonder what, what happened with that. Practically everybody's voice is dubbed. Some of their accents were too strong for the British audience of the time. So I think, uh, for example, Domino, uh, she had a very strong French accent. The redhead, who was uh, Italian. I had to have her accent dubbed as well. And uh, Largo, Emiliano Largo, I think, could not speak English. He was a very famous Italian actor. All right, there's something else for you then as well. Um, Felix, the CIA, CIA fella. We're probably on about a fourth different Felix now. Yeah, I noticed that as well, yeah. So is Felix his actual name or is it a code name? Well, do, do you... Do you remember, I forget which film it was, I think it had uh, Mark Wahlberg in it. Uh, no, it, what, what I'm talking about, it was um, the A-Team, the movie, the, the CIA guy, it's called Lynch. Hmm. Do, do, do you remember seeing the, the, the A-Team movie? No, and the CIA no, no, no. guy was called Lynch, and at the end of the film, he says, oh, what's your name? He goes, oh, it's Lynch. I think it's a code, I, I think it's a code name. I think um, it's a code name. No, I think what happened was actually it was the same person, but for some reason they will keep on sort of uh, changing the actors yeah, on that. And, second, uh, though, but, but Bond changes an awful lot in all the movies. So isn't it conceivable? I mean, 007 is a code name. It's not his name. So it's conceivable that Felix is the 007 equivalent, isn't it, for the CIA? That's, that's all I think. I'm glad you raised that, actually, because yeah. it is mm. the, the feeling, and it, he does keep changing character. I don't think it's even played by the same person in more than two films. I think what's happened, basically, the guy who played him in Thunderball, uh, I think his name is Rick Van... something. Rick Van Winkle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or Van Dyke. Or, uh, if you could, if you don't mind, Paul, if you could uh, look that up, uh, the guy who played him, uh, I think it was uh, something Rick Van Nutri or Hutter or well, you know it was a Dutch name anyway, but he's American, and he actually was going to play the part of Phoenix um, Light for the next four movies, but something happened, and uh, he pulled out. I think his wife said he didn't want her, him to play it or something like that. There was some reason why he didn't play it again. You're gonna laugh at this. His name is uh, Rick Van Nutter. No way. Yeah. Yeah. Is that N U T T E R Nutter? Uh, it probably pronounced different in in Dutch, but oh yeah, Vic, Vic, uh, Rick Van Nutter. Yeah, Thunderball. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and not only that, do you remember the poster from uh, from Russia with Love about the movie from the mouth? Yes, yes, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So the actress in that, well, there was an actress's name on there. That was his wife in real life, because he looks like Eastwood a bit. I thought that actually when when um, Connery punches him in the stomach when he first meets him, I thought is I had to double do a double take. He did look like Clint Eastwood. I agree with that. I didn't think that, but I did think he looks like a little bit like Clint Eastwood. Yeah, and, and uh, that was quite funny when he goes, "That's a way. That's a nice way to welcome the CIA." And he goes, "Yeah, you were just about to say 007. Do you remember the lady which was on the speed bike with him? Uh, one of the the British agents. Was she British or was she? C I thought she was with the CIA. No, she's. I think she was a uh, um, British. I think she was uh, the agent from uh, the head, like MI6 head office in the Bahamas. I think. But there's an interesting connection there as well. If you look carefully in From Russia with Love, where the sort of that gypsy fight, and the lady in the green, that was her. Perhaps she got the job for the magnificent acting with the hand. That she did in the previous from Rush with Love. Oh movie. yeah, the whole. I do want to bring up a slightly funny point. Um, he's under the water. Um... <laughs> it it's going to the boat to photograph the doors, and he's flashing the flashlight around, and then he does. He holds the flashlight literally like right next to his watch. You go, that's a good fucking flat. What was he expecting to see in, in fucking water with the with the flashlight when he couldn't even see his watch? So right up close. I was like, <laughs>
And the, C and the CCTV cameras that these guys are watching him on, where were they positioned under the boat exactly? Or were they taking a live feed from the film crew? <laughs> it's just not... Uh, just maybe laugh, proper laugh, that is. Typical, it is a 1960s movie, Justin. Let's I, I know. How many times can we say that, though? <laughs> Are we not giving people in the 1960s enough credit, though? Because I'm pretty sure that there's people in the 60s watching these movies, and they're like this. They're going, that wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen. There must have been. Because, yeah, the bit that Justin mentioned with the CCTV cameras underneath the boat, yeah, it was like watching the film through that. It, it was, yeah... Uh, made me laugh that whole that whole scene you know with yeah. the, the, the diver knew he was there the cctv the dude whoop, with the grenades off the side of the boats yeah and then suddenly they had lights underwater as well in the middle of the sea obviously that was where the landing place was mm. they couldn't find him they only found his uh tank yeah yeah so yeah that was yeah you're right there are always in these movies there are faults uh, we can't sort of say that it's going to happen in real life, and but they're not going to do that, are they? They're going to throw it out straight away. They're not going to say, oh, let, let's throw it just slowly, and that close to the boat as well. Um, yeah, but do you remember the scene where he actually breaks into Largo's house? Yeah, I remember the scene. Yeah, it's one of my notes actually. Again, he's doing it a pair of loafers. Yeah, no, I, I thought of you when I looked at that. I thought, yeah. I'm going to go back because I think we've missed the scene. It's like, um, obviously, him and Largo meet in the casino. That whole casino scene. I think Bond drops in the word Spectre about five times. So he's deliberately goading him, saying, I know exactly who you are, mate. So I think at that point, it was just all foreplay. There was no trying to hide who they were. And he said that when he, when he held that shotgun, he said, oh, there's like a lady's gun. And that's, yeah, when, that's, that's right, when Largo yeah. says, oh, do you know much about guns? He said, no, but I know more, I know plenty about ladies. And yeah, you're right. He goes, I can see Spectre on your shoulder or something like that I, or whatever. Yeah, you're right. He does mention Spectre quite a few times. And then the redhead picks him up and then he sees her Spectre ring and she turns it around. So and then she goes at 100 miles per hour and you could see that he's sort of sweating. But at the time, 100, 100 miles per hour was considered a lot. And the next thing you realise... The way this, but also, I must say, uh, deadly in, in a Mustang like that going around corners that just wouldn't have happened. But there's another interesting fact as well um, that when he breaks into Largo's house, he suddenly gets caught, and then one of his guys, henchmen, basically uh, pulls him into a pool. You know, he releases bull, um, the bull uh, sharks, they had a special divider. And that divider split, and the actual shark came towards Connery, and luckily he just missed him. And then once all of them had got in, he just goes into the gap and uh, comes out. There's a bit, uh, yes, what you're, what you're talking about, yeah. The, what, Connery actually expressed a concern being in a tank with a bunch of sharks. So one of the, the, the set designers found some plexiglass, and they put a plexiglass yeah. um, section on that tunnel but they didn't have enough plexiglass so it was actually like a four foot gap at the bottom of it yeah so connery was, connery was in there and then yes a shark managed to find the gap it almost went after him <laughs> they managed to get yeah, that's the right. there is another section of that as well another part of the sharks where you see connery coming out of the pool at the edge yeah. and he turns around and says not this time mate or, or something stupid something some witticism um there is a shark that follows him as he's just getting out yeah. of the pool. And there's probably yeah. about this much gap between, between them. Um, that shark was supposed to be a dead shark when it was actually in the water. I don't know how true this is. It's just what I read earlier. It was supposed to be a dead shark, but when it was in the water, it actually it revived itself and came to life again. So it was actually alive. So there was a guy holding it at one point and then let it go. And that's when it went after Connery as he got out of the pool. So they... He wasn't aware of it at the time, but it could have uh, could have taken a foot. Have you ever seen anyone so dry and sweating so much? Because if you see him come out of the pool, he's dry. Basically, he shitted himself so much because of that, that he comes out dry. But we do lead into another sort of long, drawn-out scene with a carnival. Uh, him getting slightly shot. And then, again, 
the similar move, the previous movie, he turned, he turned her to take the shot in the back. Well, as we said, he he saw the guy, but you know, I want to go just a second before that. You know, he's dancing with that lady, and then she goes, "I didn't realize your wife was here." Yeah, that lady actually owned that hotel where they were dancing, so they actually used her bar slash hotel for that scene. Uh, yeah, and I think she was friends with one of the direct with the director or one of the uh, crew, senior crew members, and they actually had quite a lot of people who uh, English people lived in the Caribbean in that movie in the background, and she was one of them. As you said, she turned. Uh, going back to what happened to the redhead, uh, he turns around, turns, sees the sort of music like them playing the drums really fast, and then he, obviously he sees the gun between the curtains, and the moment they shoot. What made me? Uh, what makes me always laugh and makes me cringe? We puts it down on the chair. Do you, do you mind? My friend sits this one out. Just another, I guess, his license to kill. So she's in the way, mm. finishing it off, job done, sort of thing. But the uh, the carnival scene, yeah, it was a bit long, drawn out. I don't know. The, the couple of the films now we've had the you know on the train. We had that mm-hmm. long, drawn out scene. This one was a bit of a long, drawn out scene. That was a very elaborate. Choreography, all of that, wasn't it? You know, with all the spear fighting and parachuting in, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Would it not have been easy to just wait for the nuclear weapons to come out of the water? Then no, because the nuclear weapons were actually uh, on his yacht. Well, they weren't, were they? they were in the underground cave. From what I could see, that they they went in from the Vulcan into the yacht into like those tubes. Yeah, and then they were put in an underground thing, uh, yeah. etc. Then they went back to get them and put them back yeah. on the yacht. Yeah, but that's right. The yeah. fight was happening as they were going back to the yacht with the yeah. They're on the mini submarine. Sorry, yeah, you're right. Yeah, from the Vulcan onto the yacht, from the yacht into this cave, and then from the cave back to the yacht, and we had this this underground fight scene between that cave and putting them back on the yacht, um, yeah. which is massive, brilliantly chore- uh, uh, choreography. I bet that would have been quite a lot of fun filming that. Yeah, I really like the fact that you've you've clearly got the goodies and baddies marked. You've got the goodies wearing the red wetsuits and the baddies wearing the black wetsuits. It was pretty good. I think the amount that actually you saw parachute in wasn't quite the amount that were actually in the water. I think often with these fight scenes, you get double the amount of people that actually you think are there. Because if you look at the aerial scenes uh, as they're watching it, go, watching it go away, you can count them, you know, how many there are. Yeah, and another interesting bit was where he's actually talking to Domino on the beach and uh, Largo's henchmen's there with the silent silencer. And he goes, well, that's oh, fucking useless Pratt. He was rubbish, wasn't he? He was rubbish. The one who threw the sort Rub- of... Uh, yeah. The grenades. Yeah. You know, it, it, was, it was rubbish. Again, the most funny thing is that it's only Bond can do that he turns around and shoots him with the sort of spear gun and goes, he, he got the point. Well, I yeah. mean, how many how many people would think about that when if they did that? Oh, he's got a point, yeah. Right before that was it implied that Bond and Domino had sex underwater. I think it was, yes. Well, you can guarantee that in these early Bond movies, the early sixties Bond movies, most of what, if not all of what he's wearing and what he's using, is predominantly British-made stuff. I think it was a case. It was trying to emphasise the Britishness as well, and even to this day. We're still known, found the world, to have the best bespoke uh, suit makers or tailors, I should say. We are renowned for bespoke shoes. Uh, the problem is because they're bespoke and specialised, we don't have massive industries like the other guys who've manufactured them in a big scales. It's like with the Aston Martins, people don't realise they weren't mass product. Uh, production it was basically bespoke car in the 60s mm. or 50s and 60s and that's why the, their production was very low and only in the hundreds maybe even 100 basically or less and that's why SN Martin in later uh, years struggled because they could not basically do it that way because it was done manually until the later movies I think um, I think Roger Moore when he took over he insisted uh, on using Gucci luggage um, so that's where you, you started to see the, the creep of more European designer goods coming into Bond movies. Yeah, another, uh, yeah, so you came to the scene, uh, Justin, where you were talking about Largo being killed. Yeah. Uh, 
what I found about that screen, and I don't know what you thought, Paul, but in that scene is when, you know, when they're actually the speedboat or his yacht is being split up in two, one's the, sort of the gun, uh, sort of battle yeah, guns. Yeah, he would never end. have been able to stay on that hydrofoil. He would never have been able to stand on that. That would, that would be no. So not only that, but if you looked at that um, scene where they're in the actual cabin, sort of, uh, sort of moving, sort of handling the yacht, I think what spoils it, they've got the sort of green screen at the back and it's at so far speed, you can tell it's not actually on the sea. I'd rather have them sort of slow scene with more action in the cabin and actually making it more real. I was really hoping we weren't going to talk about that too much because that, that really fucking wound me up, that did. I mean, look, there, it's 19... I get that it's a film and it's limited and all the rest of it, but that was just not even fucking close, was it? No, it wasn't great. The camera was, was showing it to be straight on and it wasn't. It was wobbling all over. That would... I, 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 yeah. I just think it's almost like, you know, we're bored now of this film and can we just get it over and done with? Uh, just have a little bit of a strange punching, um, a boat that seems to be just randomly going in any direction. Yeah. Uh, that really, honestly, that final sequence there in that boat ruined, for me, ruined actually whatever good part of that film there was. Wow, that's, uh, that's strong words. I'm sorry, but it just is. It just is. I think they could have done a lot better with that. It was all over the place out of that window. You know, it's like rocks here, rocks all over the It's just all over the all over the shop. But Justin, I want to bring some facts because you said that it's quite surprising with some of the faults it's had, and now we've actually discussed it. There's quite a bit, uh, quite a lot of faults in the movie that you, if you look at it in detail do you know inflation included it was the most successful bond movie till actually skyfall it was the only bond movie that with inflation made a billion quid in the world at the box office they said it might be slightly more they said it took another four movies before someone broke the actual record a bond movie broke that record at the box office so i think it was another four or five movies before that happened so we were into the Roger Moore era, basically second or third movie by the time that happened. Wow, that's uh, that's impressive. That is impressive. Um, yeah. Ending scene. We've we've um, we've just skipped ahead to the end scene. Um, Domino gets tortured before that end scene. Yeah. Um, which is a bit dark. And when when she's saved by that strange fella, put that. Put oh, the, the scientist. Put a pin in that. Um. When she's saved, you see her get up off the bed and she does have like a, a mark on her shoulder. So he did actually put the cigar end into her shoulder. That's pretty dark. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm literally watching that now, actually. You're right. Although her dress did did manage to mend itself. All right. So I, I said put a pin in it with that guy, that mm. guy that saves her. Mm. Who is he? Where does he go? Well, he is a scientist who helped Largo or Spectre with the nuclear side, he's a nuclear scientist. And the, uh, the funny thing is, yeah, he goes, um, he helps her, saves her. And when they realise the boat's crashing, he goes, I can't swim. So he gets a sort of ring and goes, okay, there's no time like this who learn how to swim and pushes him off. And then they, they go. And then he disappears. No one knows where he goes. I don't know if he floats ashore or another boat saves him. But these uh, guys are saved, obviously. So, yeah. It's quite a strange thing. They didn't think about the, the the geezer at all. No, he just disappears. He just vanishes. And right at the ending credits, I was, I was thinking, are they going to like cut to him just bobbing around in the ocean, make a joke out of it or something? But nothing. Yeah. Just vanish. Uh, yeah. So could it be a case where he got eaten by the sharks? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, could have been, couldn't it? Well, why not show that bit? You know, because that would have been interesting i guess it would put some sort of conclusion to that character because i didn't really pay much attention to him but he plays quite a, quite an important part in saving domino and then just disappears yeah and as uh, i've said to justin not to use it too often that the, there would have been too much clever basically in the water wouldn't they but so uh, <laughs> yeah. that's the reason they weren't allowed to uh, basically show him getting eaten 
uh, alive, him screaming like mad, help me, I'm getting bitten, I'm there, getting there killed was, by bull sharks. There was a great scene though where, where Matey Boy's punching, he goes, <laughs> just, the one guy's holding him and he's just like, one, two. <laughs> oh yeah, and then he throws him over him yeah. after he's done that. Go for it, go for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, apparently, uh, quite a lot of people said this. Uh, even Steven Seagal used to say that Connery was a tough nutter in real life. So I don't know if he managed to wriggle out, but yeah, it does that does look silly basically? But don't forget, he's a super spy, so he can do that. But what makes me laugh is like. <laughs> so I'm just I'm just watching here. So the scientist guy, so Domino shoots uh, matey boy. Largo, yeah. Largo. Yep. And the scientist is with them. So he's the scientist still with them. Oh, Connery puts a ring over him and then throws him off the boat. Yeah, pushes them off, yeah. Yeah. But yes, then they get the life, the, the, the dinghy thing. But yes, you're right, Paul. He disappears from there. So he must have, yeah. he must have been eaten by... So here's a, here's a rubber ring, mate. Go and fend for yourself because I've, I've got to do the end sequence here of shagging in the, in the rubber No, dinghy. but it's really funny. They blow up the dinghy, basically, and then... And you hear the Bond theme slowly, and he goes, "What's going to happen?" And then he ties this rope around, and, and basically have your neck snapped by being picked up at three hundred miles then, an hour. And on, then on suddenly you have, a, yeah. <laughs> no, but if you see, <laughs> the he force of that would just be immense, and you certainly wouldn't be happy holding somebody under your own force to do that. She'd have fucking been left way behind. <laughs> we're like, it'd be like trying to hold on to a bar of soap, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, but he ties uh, 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 a rope around their waist rather than around the top. So, yeah, but the G-force would have got his belly and probably guts would have come out or whatever. But that's beside the point. But it's really awful, basically, when they pick them up and you see the green screen at the back and they're looking at each other going, eh, we're flying really high. Yeah, why? Come on. And it's like it's like going into heaven. It's love at a first sight or something. But yeah, the idea was good. But I think the execution was a little bit, could have been better, basically. I'm going to, I know we're going to have a break from Bond after this. So it'll be great to come back because the next one's going to be very interesting. Uh, you only live twice and there's quite a lot of um, things to say about that when we get back. And we should probably talk about that a little bit, actually. Um, our change of direction. It's not going to be a massive change of direction, but we, um, I think all, all three of us now are suffering a little bit of bond fatigue. Um, so we're going to mix it up and review something different. We're not going to say what. I think we'll keep it as a bit of a surprise. Um, but we are going to change tact. It's going to be on the same, a similar theme as Bond, but just to keep the things interesting and uh, throw some new takes into this. We'll try something new next video. I think that's it, isn't it? Should we wrap this up? Yeah, we can yeah. wrap this up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. Thank you again, guys. And it's goodbye from me. Okay, well, we'll see you again soon here on 11.8. So like and subscribe. See you later. Learn a lot about yourself when you're on video. Can you say that again, mate? You learn a lot about yourself when you're on video. Watching my yeah. stuff back, it looks like I've had a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> this side of my face isn't fucking tight. Stroke, fucking hell. Yeah, whenever I smile, it's like a little like troll face. <laughs>